I began last week uh, a 13-week series that we're doing on the book of Philippians. It's actually a letter to the Christians in the city of Philippi uh, that was written about 2,000 years ago. Um, and we're really, in doing this, we're learning a lot more about perhaps the most ardent follower of Jesus Christ ever, and that is the Apostle Paul himself who wrote much of the New Testament. We all know that life can be very hard. Amen? And sometimes seems unfair. Every single person in this room has experienced hard times. Some of us have endured seasons, even years, of extreme adversity without let-up. And so how is it that there are some people in this world who seem to find a way to rise above the hard times and still be thankful for what they have and continue to experience joy, peace, and contentment. They actually become better instead of bitter. And the truth is that God has intended that every one of us would be able to rise above the negative circumstances of life and learn how to return to joy more quickly than we do. Even in the midst of the most painful adversity. And the question you might be asking is, I don't know if that's realistic. Yeah, I read about that in the Bible, but I'm not sure. Is it really possible for us to rise above the negative circumstances in my own life? And my answer to that is it really depends on your perspective. And today what we're going to see is that what matters in life is not what happens to you, but how you interpret what happens to you. Everything is a matter of interpretation. Now think about this. If you were abused as a child, how do you interpret that experience? If you interpret that as there must be something wrong with me, I must have done something to deserve this, then you will live your life in shame. But if you can reinterpret that and understand that God was with you in that moment and that God can redeem that victimization in your life, you can then begin to rise above it and live life the way God intended with joy and peace and contentment. You'll learn to be happier and more at peace. How many of you would like to be happy? How many of you are happy right now? Okay. Oh, yes. Well, that, that boy, your hands shot up really fast. Um, the other thing, too, is your Father in heaven, the Bible says, will reward you for your faithfulness. It isn't just about your actions. It is about your attitude. And so there are a few things that I find more inspirational than people who are willing to lay down uh, their lives for what they believe in. People who are willing to risk life and limb in order to march ahead of us and lead us into battle. And I'm thinking of, um, and, and, and these are people who often suffer for what they believe in. And, I, and you hear me often, uh, some of my heroes, some of these are Christians, some aren't. But they're still heroes of mine. People like Abraham Lincoln, who uh, the Emancipation Proclamation, who fought uh, for people who were disenfranchised and, pay, and paid it with his life when he was assassinated at the end of the Civil War. Uh, Martin Luther himself, the great Martin Luther, the reformer 400 years ago. Gandhi, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., the civil rights movement in the United States. Nelson Mandela, uh, who fought against apartheid in South Africa and eventually became its president. And a man who would not allow bitterness and anger and resentment 
and unforgiveness to defeat him. And what he did is uh, he started the Truth and Reconciliation Commission so he could reach out to the people who had victimized um, the, the people in South Africa. And so uh, these are people who not only risked their own lives and their own freedoms and paid a heavy price, but they somehow managed to rise above their suffering um, with a spirit of optimism, really. And they, they, they seem to have a sense of peace about them. And I've read about some of these people. There was a sense of poise and a sense of peace that they carried with them, even in the worst of times, because they, were, they knew they were doing the right thing. When you suffer, when you know that you're doing the right thing, read about it in 1 Peter. This is the letter in the New Testament. It's the, Peter wrote two letters, Peter the Apostle, 1 Peter. And he says, if you suffer for doing what is right, you're blessed. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says the same thing. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. And these are people who seem to understand, and that's what I mean by the good life. The good life is a life that is lived for noble purpose, particularly the purpose of God. Millions of Christians today are being persecuted for their faith. At this point in Canada, we're not persecuted severely. Not really. There's been some impact by some government policies and bills that have been passed and so on that we might feel some restriction, but we don't know, do we? And I, know, I think there's some of you here today that might say, you know what, persecution is coming to North America. Um, I do know that there's been things written, which I have read, where there are some um, prognosticators who are predicting that persecution will come to this country. Where will you stand if that happens? Will you have what it takes to rise above and be victorious are you, like, what kind of Christian are you? Are you a play-it-safe Christian? A stay-out-of-trouble kind of Christian? Uh, even to the point of compromise? Or are you someone who is so passionate about Jesus that you find it hard to hide your faith? Um, you know, when you're just out and about. It could be a simple thing like when you're in the restaurant. You know, do you remember who you are? Um... Do you know that the people that serve you are people for whom Jesus died? And can you be unashamed of your testimony when you're out in public, no matter what? And just let your light shine brightly and bear witness boldly for Jesus. I think most of us admire Christians who've lived with a great deal of courage, particularly when they've uh, suffered for it. And we tend to to put, like, some of the people I mentioned, like the great Martin Luther, you know, and Martin Luther King Jr., who himself was a, was a, a minister, uh, we tend to put those kind of people up on a pedestal. You know, we tend to put um, people who stand strong in the face of adversity and persecution up on a pedestal. The Apostle Paul was that kind of a person. And we often don't think of ourselves, though, in that light. We, we kind of look at them as the heroes of the faith, but we never, we never, how often do we consider that we might be heroic? That God might, you know, choose us to stand firm, you know, when we're being persecuted. Because the Bible says even somebody like Elijah, who himself, the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament, he was persecuted. And the Bible says in James chapter 5, he's no different than you and me. He's made of the same stuff as you and me. 
The apostle Peter, it tells us, he said to Jesus, I'm off my notes again here, but anyway, it's all right. I'll still finish on time. Um, the, uh, the apostle Peter, he said to Jesus, when Jesus said, you know, you will all desert me, I'm going to be betrayed by one of you, and you're all going to desert me. He says, not me. Lord, I am your most ardent follower, and I will, I'll die for you. I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus said, you know, on this very night, you're going to, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me three times this very night. And you know what? It tells us that when everything started to fall apart and Jesus was, was being tried and he was being beaten and he was being mocked, it says that Peter followed at a distance. How closely do you follow? You follow at a distance? Or do you have the courage to follow Jesus and be identified with him so that it's known by everybody who you are and what you stand for? Will you choose to be unashamed and unafraid of your devotion to Christ? So today, what we're going to do is we're just going to get a start on this, um, and then next week we're going to kind of continue on this theme. But in our study of Philippians, the letter, Paul's letter to the Philippians, we're going to look at the testimony of this man whom we call the Apostle Paul. And at the beginning of the letter to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul begins by telling the Christians in the city of Philippi how proud he is of them. He's saying, I'm so proud of you. He's saying, you're living the Christian life the way it's meant to be lived, and I just pray that the one Jesus who began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Christ. And, and he's just really, really proud of them. And he says, I give thanks for you in my prayers. You know, He's just really proud of them. But then he gets to verse 12. And um, in verse 12... The Apostle Paul says this, and I'm going to read it. And as I read this, I want you to see if you can sense what was most important to the Apostle Paul, what mattered most. I'm going to read these verses, and I want you to ask yourself, what mattered most to Paul, and what mattered the least to the Apostle Paul? And so let me just read this for you. Now I want you to know, this is Philippians 1, verse 12. He says, now I want you to know, brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, here's what happened. The apostle Paul ended up in the city of Rome, and it, it was really kind of like probably Washington, D.C., it was really like the capital of the world. It was a thriving metropolis. Millions of people, even in that day, that was a big city. And it was really the cultural center of the world of that day. And the Apostle Paul ended up there. You know how he ended up there? The Lord told him once, he said, I will send you to Rome and you will testify for me there. And the Apostle Paul, when he was being persecuted... And when uh, people were attacking him and wanted to put him to death in the city of Jerusalem, because he was a Roman citizen, it says that he appealed to Caesar in Rome. At one point, he could have been set free had he not appealed to Caesar. But he didn't want to be set free. And you know why he didn't want to be set free? Because he wanted to bear witness to Caesar's house about Jesus Christ. Even at the expense of his own freedom, he was choosing the hard path in order that he could bear witness for Christ. And so this is what he's talking about. He's in jail for his faith, and he says, 
What has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. It has become clear throughout the whole palace that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of these chains, he said, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and more fearlessly. And it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Others do it out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But watch this attitude. Verse 18. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, the important thing is in that every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. And that's because what matters in life and what mattered to Paul wasn't what was happening to him, but how he interpreted what was happening to him. And the way he interpreted his persecution and his jail time he interpreted that as an opportunity for the gospel of Jesus Christ because he understood that's why I'm here. And so he says, as a result of my chains, because of these chains, because I'm in prison, the gospel is being advanced. It was penetrating deep into the heart of the city of Rome. And the irony here is, is that the people who were persecuting Paul and wanted him thrown in jail thought that they would stop him from speaking and preaching the gospel. And they thought maybe they'll put an end to this thing called Christianity. But the irony is this. Instead of it putting an end to the proclamation of the gospel, what it did is it served as a bigger megaphone. Because other people said, well, you know, Paul's in prison. He can't do it, so we've got to do it. In the meantime, he's sitting there in chains. He's chained up to a guard and they allowed him a lot of freedom there. They did. They allowed him. He lived. He had like a little place. And, and he, he had some freedom to preach the gospel while in Rome to the guards, to all the soldiers. And he's saying, hey, what could be better? Because I am fulfilling my mission. And so he had this big megaphone. And other believers began uh, to take up the cause uh, in the world because they knew that Paul couldn't move around as freely for the two years that he was in Rome. So what mattered most to Paul? What mattered most was the gospel. What matters most to you in life? I want you just to think about your priorities for a second. And, and, and as I've been um, preparing these messages and as I've been reflecting upon uh, what this letter to the Philippians is telling us, I've been thinking about my own priorities and that means in terms of how I spend my time, um, how I spend my money, uh, my generosity of time in who I spend time with. And it's caused me to have to do a bit of a gut check and see if I'm living in a way that is honoring the gospel. And what mattered the least to the Apostle Paul, what mattered least to him was his own life. It didn't matter. And, and, and he, he didn't really seem to care that there were other people who were trying to take advantage of him while he was in jail. You know, some of them thought, you know, Paul's 
uh, Paul's really famous in Christian circles, and he was a man of great notoriety, and, and, and some of them were jealous of Paul, and they were jealous of his success because he was starting churches all over the place. This guy was catalytic. Like, he was amazing. He, he began a, a, a Christian movement all over the known world and had many, many followers, and some people were jealous. And so when he ended up in prison, some of these people... Uh, said, well, now we can compete. And they began to preach Christ so they could have big churches. And he said, you know what? It doesn't matter. I don't really care if they do it for right reasons or for wrong reasons. It doesn't really matter. As long as they're still preaching the gospel, as long as they're still speaking the truth, and as long as Christ is being exalted, I don't care why they do it as long as the gospel is advancing. And so he didn't sit there and feel sorry for himself. And he didn't allow resentment to fill his soul. But how do you have that kind of peace in that situation? When things are just beyond your control. Um, and I have to tell you that um, I've had nights, and I know many of you have, where you've been awoken in the middle of the night and found it difficult to get back to sleep. And there's two reasons why that happens to me, typically. One is, I just have too many things on my mind. And, you know, I wake up and I think, okay, I, I probably need to just kind of make a bulleted list of things i got to do and get it off my mind so I'm not thinking about it and just offload it. But the other reason that that happens and I can't get back to sleep is because I begin to worry and fret about things, often things I don't have control over. Seriously, do you ever, do you ever fret over things that you can't control? Just things that are... Yeah, and, and, and it can plague you in the middle of the night. And it's really interesting. What the Lord has been teaching me is saying, Brian, just surrender to me. I'm in control. And all you need to do, Brian, is what I show you to do. Beyond what I show you to do, I will do the rest. And don't try to control circumstances that are beyond your control. Um, let me do the rest. And... And it is amazing that God has been teaching me, and I often journal it in my journal. I, and and you'll, if you look at my journal, you'd probably smile. When I'm gone, someday people will probably start reading it and say, like, it'll be quite amazing, uh, the insights about me that you'll learn. Uh, anyway, um, I've always I thought about this. You know, I thought, boy, one time I actually was at a, at a, at a thing, and it was like a church service, and I couldn't find my journal. And I thought, oh, no, I've left it behind. Someone's going to start reading it, you know. And uh, anyway, I did find it. Uh, I know, Heather, you had that happen, didn't you? I remember, and I found it, but I didn't read it, okay? I didn't look in your journal. But, but anyway, and I, what happens is I start journaling this because I find when I write it down, and, you know, the Apostle Paul did a lot of writing. I think there was something cathartic about that. I think there was something freeing about him writing stuff too. And, and I find when I write it down and I begin to write down, God, I'm really struggling with this and I've got circumstances beyond my control and I'm finding that I'm just like, like the enemy is just beating down on me and, uh, and Lord, I need your help. And so um, what the Lord has been teaching me to do has been just to surrender. And that's what you call a spirit of meekness. And I'm going to come to a close here and I can wrap up next week. It tells us this. And Jesus said, Come to me, 
all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am what? Gentle and humble in heart. Some would say I am meek and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. When he says, I am meek and humble, there's a difference between meekness and, and humility. There is. And humility is basically that quality where you are able to submit to the will of God in peace and just say, God, whatever happens to me, whatever is going on in my life, this life is not my own. It doesn't matter. If I die, I die. What matters is that Christ is exalted. That's called meekness. That's, that's meekness is that ability to surrender all of that to the Lord and say, whatever the circumstances, whatever's going on around me, no matter how bad it gets, I won't grumble. I won't complain. I won't give in to resentment. I won't blame those around me, and I won't blame God. But I will surrender. And it's living with that kind of surrender. What circumstances are you facing right now, seriously, that you're worried about? Because we all have them. What wakes you up at 3 o'clock in the morning besides a baby? Um, would you have that same attitude that Paul says, whatever. It doesn't matter what happens to me. All that matters is that Christ is exalted in me because, you see, it isn't what's happening to you that matters. It's how you interpret what is happening to you. And if you would interpret it through the Word of God, through the lens of the Gospel, and see your life from God's perspective. Living in the spirit of meekness the way Paul did, then God will begin to work a miracle through you that will transform the lives of everyone and everything around you. And I'm wondering if today, while we're praying, would you ask the Lord to help you see your life and your circumstances from his perspective? If you're sitting here today and you're saying, you know what, I have not been a happy camper. I have been living in fear and doubt and worry and resentment. And I want to surrender my circumstances to the Lord in a spirit of meekness. Would you say, Lord, show me how to rejoice and be content no matter what is going on around me? Would you say, Lord, forgive me for those times I've complained. Help me, Lord, not to complain, but to be thankful. Help me, Lord, not to feel sorry for myself. Forgive me when I have done so. Help me, Lord, to see that even in the most brutal of circumstances, that if I would just surrender those circumstances to you, you can be at work through me the way you were through Paul to advance the gospel and proclaim Christ. 
So let me ask you, what difference would it make if you began to look at your life from a heavenly perspective, from the perspective of eternity? If you would let the Lord himself speak into your life and say, I'm in control here. Just surrender to me. What if you saw that every form of adversity in your life, suffering and disappointment, is a potential opportunity for the gospel if you would just let God work through it? Kind of like the life of Joseph that we read about in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. and He was betrayed by his brothers and sold as a slave and then he was falsely accused and ended up in a dungeon and yet God used it. How could he use you to spread the message of Christ? Because what matters in life is not what happens to you, but how you interpret what happens to you. So as our heads are bowed in prayer and before we sing, I want to challenge you to take some time today or tomorrow morning and would you write down or tell the Lord in prayer one negative situation in your life that you're struggling with and would you be willing to say Lord I'm not asking you to deliver me from this situation but I ask that as a result of it that the message of Christ will be proclaimed. And if you deliver me, so be it. And if you don't, so be it. Because that's exactly what Jesus did for us when he offered himself on the cross. He said, not my will, but yours be done. Thank you, Father, for the example of the Apostle Paul, but especially for the example of Jesus himself himself. 